Hello, friends. I missed you guys. Welcome back to Life After High School. On today's episode, I sit down with my friend, Mr. Bruce Kirkby, to discuss how he went from studying engineering physics all the way to working as a wilderness adventure photographer, filmmaker, and writer. He has done many speeches, published many books, and he takes his valuable time to sit down with me and discuss and break down the lessons he has learned along the way. So I'm super fortunate for his time, and I had a really great conversation with him, and I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as I did. It's the Life After High School Podcast. For now, so Bruce, man, uh, I'm a huge fan of your adventuring, so this is a real honor for me to talk to you, by the way. I'm super stoked. We we almost, and you know, your listeners will know, we almost yeah. connected last week in person when you were out this way, but uh, we will soon. Yeah, man, I hope so. That'll be, a, that'll be a lot of fun. And I think next year in April, May, I'm trying to get out in BC and stuff again, because that was, that was way too fun of an experience for me not to go back anytime soon. So... I grew up in Southern Ontario, but I have, I, I, I love it so much out here that I moved my mom out here. Oh, she's, she lives down the road bad. for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's 79 awesome. years in Etobicoke and I got her to move to Kimberley, a town. Oh, wow. <laughs> that must've been a she's got, fun conversation. It was a big move. Yeah. She's got deer. She, well, you know, I really believe in that kind you know, it's part of like, there's a, we're getting way deep right off the bat, but like nice. Western culture, we got a lot of important stuff, but we kind of can lose sight of community and elders and kids and, mm-hmm. and man, having your, we kind of farm out our elder care, but what's more precious than, than this kind of ancient knowledge that yeah. people have. So anyways, I said my, both my dad and my wife's dad died when they were young. And I've always said to both my mother-in-law and my mom, no questions asked. You're welcome. Yeah. Anytime you don't even have to nice. explain, show up at the door. You stay here for 10 years. That's fine. Easy. Uh, my yeah. house is your house, man. So oh, that's amazing. Uh, anyways, that's Mom was getting to that point where, you know, her friends were slowing down and I've got two kids and she wanted to be around them. So she bought a place that's one block down the street. And nice. uh, it's Easy. awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. It makes sense. That's cool though. She'll be able to see your kids develop and everything. So just the other nice. day, my, my little guy Taj dropped in to see her. He was out for a bike ride and his foot was sore. So me and my other son kept riding and I, I, I'm coming home and I'm like, Hey, there's Taj's bike outside his grandmother's house. He's getting a glass of juice. You know, she pours the bigger glasses of juice than we do oh, at I home. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome though. Uh, so with that then, tell us, uh, me and well, everybody listening and watching, um, how did you get to Kimberly, British Columbia from, uh, what was it? Uh, like, it, wasn't, it wasn't physics, but I know it was, it was an engineering. Was it chemical or civil? You know, it was EngFIS. It was EngFIS, yeah. Okay, so I, I grew up in a, a suburban Toronto in Etobicoke and then went to school for, for engineering. And I was totally like uh, influenced by Michael J. Fox in those days. Yeah. Michael P. Keaton wanted to be rich. Wanted to do my MBA. I was like, why am I going to do commerce undergrad? I'm going to go get my engineering and then I'll do, you know, top floor, corner office, glassy red nice. car and, and uh, graduated with EngPhys. And the only thing you can do with EngPhys is academia or research. And uh, those weren't really my bag of tea. And I did a little yeah. consulting for a small firm in Ottawa and I started guiding rafts on the weekends. And uh, the, the one thing that I've always had is this awareness of how precious life is. You know, it's just like, it can seem like it's going on forever, but I was like, man, my weekends are about 15,000 times more fun than my week. So I'm going to just like quit the week and make it all a weekend in a sense. And uh, yeah, I didn't know what was coming. That, that led to like 30 years of of trips Mm -hmm. in different places, became a writer, photographer, and uh, 
so much of what I did was in the mountains and, uh, you know, in wilderness places that I eventually had. The, the reason it was specifically Kimberly was I'd actually had moved to Everest around a time. Uh, uh, I moved to Calgary around the time an Everest trip launched and I'd been training there and I spent some time there. And then I was like, I want to live right in the mountains and I need a place that is cheap because I don't want to be house poor. That's near an airport because I fly all the time and, and that has a ski hill. And the mine had just closed in Kimberly uh, and my my uh mortgage was 300 bucks a month i got a wraparound deck view of the mountains yeah. hot tub i back onto the forest i can ride my mountain bike out my back door oh, yeah. and uh yeah it's just like uh it, it's it's bang and it's good and so oh, that was man. a major change in my life because uh the the hour and a half that i used to spend in a car in calgary i was self-employed but i had an office i now spend that I, for 15 years i've spent that hour and a half on a mountain bike or on skis nice. And that's pretty cumulative, man. So yeah, it's been a yeah. good move for me. Nice, I bet. So, man, just going through and like, uh, we talked a bit about this last time and some crazy adventures. But I remember, and I want to ask this question right off the bat with you and dig into it a bit uh, before we cover a lot of other good stuff. But um, I mentioned to you about trip dynamics and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Specifically, what comes to mind from my recent experience was there was one or two of them who really wanted to do food style tourism where everywhere we went, it's like, let's try some new food. Let's try some uh, like new food, new drinks, whatever's in the area. Like that's why I mentioned to you, like the guys want a brewery, you know, yeah, whatever stuff's around there. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And um, I'm very, my style of adventure is very, let's go explore and let's go get lost and see what happens. And like, it doesn't, adventure for me doesn't quite start until i'm either about to be lost or lost and it's like yeah, all right well now the, yeah. now the fun begins right totally so have you ever experienced on trips or adventures you've gone on uh where the dynamics kind of been off or not quite your in your lane for say oh huge and, and i mean I, I so i've been doing trips for we're pushing 35 years now and uh yeah like it's way more important to me who i do trips with than what we do it's going to be funner if I'm with the right people than depend. I, I can go on what seems like a dumb trip with some great people. I love being outside with, uh, and I could be doing the most, I, I would not, you know, say I wanted to climb some crazy peak in Nepal, but the only way it could go is with four people. I didn't jive with, I wouldn't be going. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I, you know, I've reached that, that time and point in my life where I can be a little picky and choosy. I, for instance, I've actually met, uh, I met a guy at a speaking event, um, it was an adventure event in uh, Whistler called Multiplicity, and they had six speakers up and and, and uh, in a row that night. And I just met this guy, and I was like, "Man, I like Norm." And it turned out he was a great paddleboarder. I'm doing a lot of paddleboarding, and we've done a big trip every summer. We have been like, we've been balls out. I, oh, I'm going to show you. This was me and Norm. So we went around uh, oh, Cape yeah. Scott. I mean, this is craziness. I got this on my computer. Talk. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> this was. So this was five in the morning. What? We waited three days and it is howling out there, man. Yeah, we are big. So anyways, I wouldn't want to be there with anyone but Norm. And uh, yeah, so okay. that's an example. And the other story I want to tell you is I went to Everest in 97. I was a young kind of member of the team and the trip wow. leader. Uh, was a guy called Steve Matus mm -hmm. from Boulder, Colorado. And he was like really reluctant to have me on the trip because he didn't know me. Uh, uh, yeah, I but I, I'd, kind of, I'd kind of come on to run some communication systems. I became good friends with Steve. And I remember him saying to me, 
that uh, so he had done at that point 17 Himalayan expeditions and he'd uh, I believe it was on Manaslu he'd gone one year with a team of four and they hadn't made the summit but he said that was the best trip he'd ever done in his life and they mm -hmm. went back the next fall with a team of six four of the same people two extra people they wow. summited and he said that was the worst trip he'd ever taken in his life and so that just kind of crystallizes everything you're talking about the people mm. you do the stuff with is everything on these type yeah. of trips so you know what when that going around that that paddleboard with norm we had to uh you know make up we had a pretty precarious decision it had been blowing hard and, and no one had rounded cape scott we were the, i think the whatever the first people to go around it on a paddleboard and we waited for three days and we saw a 15 minute window at 4 45 in the morning and so as we paddled in blackness towards this point of no return, it was about 150 meters down the coast and we we're both on paddle boards. I just knew that Norm would go through the same tick list in his mind and also had that coastal experience that our decision would be the same and it would be unspoken. We were either gonna go and then we're gonna make it happen or we're gonna say this doesn't feel right. And uh, yeah, people can start making really crazy decisions as the stakes get yeah. bigger. So anyways, that, that, that becomes more important too. Like, you know, avalanche terrain, man, if, if yeah. some people are all about the summit and other people are uh, more focused as they probably should be on safety and, and mm -hmm. uh, realizing it's more important to live another day. You want to go with people who have the same uh, risk um, analysis as you more than anything once you get the stakes are up but yeah i i know what you're saying dude yeah, you know you go to southeast asia and you see people in yeah. guest houses and they're just bitching about their friend who's on the trip because they can't yeah. stand each other anymore and you're just like go your own ways man you'll yeah. meet people it'll be good do your thing you'll be fine it'll make so it you'll be fine yeah yeah a few minutes ago you mentioned your appreciation for life like you uh, you touched on a little bit i'm curious how did you develop that because you mentioned at I, a yeah. young age too Mm, yeah, I, I'm not sure. So I, um, I I feel like that has always been imbued in me a little bit. I, uh, I had a really good friend at university commit suicide, and I always felt like that was a mistake. It, it, mm. I mean, that's a crazy thing to say. Obviously, it was very upsetting for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, you know, this 35 years later now, and I still think, damn, like, dude, we, we, you know, I miss you and we, we would have had good days. And, and then my dad died in an accident when I was about 28 or so. Wow. Um, and I don't think it was those two things, but uh, they, they certainly reinforced it for yeah, me. Yeah, the perspective is uh, huge on that. There's only so many tomorrows, eh? I remember Michael Landon, that star of Little House on the Prairie, he, he died yeah. of cancer and he, he said, uh, you know, there's only so whatever you want to do do it today because there's only so many tomorrows and uh wow. i've kind of lived my life that way nice. that's incredible and that's kind of what transitioned you into the adventure man you've become today and like that's kind of i feel almost hearing this it like sparked out of the university and then working and it's like you slowly started to develop into now it's that's your life yeah, you know, a couple things. Like one thing that's weird, I find I talk to kids a lot uh, at schools. I, I've run some education programs, and uh, I, I mean, uh, one thing I always encourage people to do is think of their schooling like uh, 
an education, not a job training. Like we talk about it like university. I'm like, hey man, you're getting educated. You are not getting trained for a job. You can, yeah. you know. It feels the, the opposite that, though. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I, I took engineering physics and I failed English and I'm, I wrote a, you know, weekly column for the Globe Mail and a yeah. bunch of books. And uh, I didn't do well at art and I've, you know, shot photos for Nat Geo and other people. So you're, you know, that end fizz, I mean, it was important for me, but it was also like, it taught me how to work hard. It taught me why the sky's blue. It taught me how electricity works. It basically taught me to figure out problems, right? And that's what right. education is about. So, so, um, so I think I, I, I partially got that when I was going to university, but yes, mm-hmm. um, totally. I, I, I had that moment where I was like, whoa, the rat thing's amazing. I don't love what I'm doing. And, and luckily I had no, um, no cost. Like I didn't have a leased car. I didn't have a mortgage. I was free. And and so I had a couple of grand in the bank and that's all I needed. I could eat food. You know, I could go, I could drive my rusty pickout out West and, and, and figure it out. And, and so then the next 30 years were really a evolution of me following what interested me. And I don't want to say my passion because that passion gets overused all the time. But yeah, it was like, uh, I made specific decisions. If I could, uh, you know, go to the same environment and guide again or become a junior guide somewhere else. I usually went like I spent a season on the Canadian coast mm-hmm. and I went to Belize that I went to the, the Alps. The one place I've returned to a ton is a Canadian Arctic because I love the Arctic. I love the Arctic, but I'd also go on a lot of different rivers and, yeah. and in different crafts, canoes, kayaks, stuff. So yeah, to me, growth was important and I, I wanted to do new things. And, and so, yeah, I could have never, when I left engineering, my engineering job just post-graduation said, this is where I'm going to end up here in this room, you know, Mm -hmm. doing the things I do. And so that, that, I was talking to a young guy today, he was like talking about his future. And I'm like, dude, don't try to see that. Just if you can satisfy yourself that today, what you're doing is important and it's, and it's, um, you know, satisfying your curiosity and your interests and your passions and desires, that's perfect. Cause that's going to lead to something and you can never foresee that path. And it's, it's mm-hmm. crazy making to sit here. Like he was thinking, I'm going to want to live in this city 20 years from now. And I'm like, dude, you don't know what city you're going to be in 20 years from now. Yeah. All you need to know is this fall. Does that feel good to you? And right. And then you should. Nice. So that's, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. How'd uh, with that, how did you, Actually, no, it's something else. Um, what was the craziest experience you had in the Canadian Arctic? Like, what's that all about? Because I've never, I've never <laughs> been up there in the country. I've been out east, out west a few times, but I've never been up north. So what's the, Ar- that like? the Arctic is a big land. Let me see if I can show you. Can I try to show you something here? Let me yeah, see absolutely. if I can do this, man. This is very interactive. Let me see if I can bring this up. I'm going to bring something up here. Um, and you don't need Spicoli right now, but let me, uh, I got to, I got to go. Uh, Spicoli is our common vision. Actually, it's, uh, it's on this one. Here we go. Sorry, man. I got a, got a few things going on here. I'm going to oh, okay. show you a couple things. So, uh, yes, I, that was me graduating from engineering yeah. physics. And then, uh, the, the Canadian Arctic is big. It, and, and so this is on the Tachinchini River. I spent, uh, man, I spent probably a thousand days on that river, but, um, <laughs> do I, wow. that, that's, uh, sorry, we, we went to Africa and the Himalayas. Yeah, we'll, talk, we'll get to those. We'll I'm get to those bad. things. Oh, I really wanted to show you. Oh, man. dude, you're gonna. I I'm, I apologize to your uh, listeners. I'm gonna go scream backwards through a few things here, and then I, and we're gonna take off nail of basics. You don't need to know that. That's me. Blah blah blah. Here we go. 
Here we go. We're getting to the error kick now. Oh, wow. Um, that this is a lady who got lost. She bought that go-go girl, and then uh, we didn't see her again. Here oh, we go. Oh, please Three, tell me two. that's not a live photo. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the okay. Arctic is big, man. It's a big – so the, the reason I wanted to bring this photo up is because yeah. people go – you know, you go to Toronto, and you can kind of go to Queen Street, or and you, you can get the feel for it, but the Arctic takes time, and it really takes getting away from White Horse or Yellow Knight, but this is – a land of incredible scale, of unimaginable beauty. It's the land of the midnight sun. It's yeah. the last frontier. It's got the history of the gold rush. Uh, yeah, and so I say it. Uh, it's a relenting, uh, unforgiving place, yeah. but it is. Um, there we go. That's that was that was a little bit on the Arctic, but uh, I went up there, and, and the the wild was so incredible. We you know we're seeing grizzlies every day, and. and um, we don't have wilderness like that in the south, even in BC. Uh, and oh. so, as Canadians, we have this gem to the north of us. Uh, and I've traveled to ninety-two countries or something in the world. Nothing compares to to the pristine nature of the wilderness we have. Certainly, in a really? boreal sense, no, there's nowhere else. It's even close. Wow. Not even close. And so, and you've done camels the in the desert and everything, and still. Yeah, yeah, no, wow. you, I've paddled Borneo's coast and Greenland and everywhere, but. Yeah, the Arctic's amazing, and, and so it's uh, something, a responsibility we have as Canadians. It's part of our natural inheritance, man. but uh, yeah, you should definitely check it out. Crazy things, there's been lots. <laughs> that lady getting lost was one, but lots of bears and things. Yeah, what do you do? Like, well, did you guys have, you had bear mace and uh, a gun, I'm assuming. You know, uh, I've done a couple trips with Canadian, with Alaskan trips, and we had guns, but as Canadians, you can't carry a gun in the Even national parks, that? and those are... Yeah, uh, so we have bear spray, and uh, our biggest protection is the number of people we have. So there's right. never been a documented bear account attack on more than four people, grizzly bear attack on more than yeah. four people. Awesome. We have 15. So people oh, stay together, yeah. we're good. I've carried bear spray for 30 years. I've sprayed two things, a dog and a cow. <laughs> <laughs> the cow was in my camp this summer. I couldn't get it out. It was going to trample my kids in my tent, and I was like, to my wife, I'm like, I got to paint this thing's face orange yeah. man i can't Honey, take it think? anymore oh so, my god so oh, i was no. like sorry man this the cow's getting spray painted and uh, the dog uh, would chase every every day on my bike so i finally sprayed the dog and didn't come back oh man well yeah no kidding man i got yeah i got bear spray for the trip thank goodness didn't have to use it yeah, no, you know, there is an incredible book, just as an aside, called yeah. Bear Attacks or Causes and Avoidance. It's by Stephen Herrero, and that is the Bible. And so to really understand why a bear may be aggressive against you, trying to understand if it's a black bear, if it's a grizzly, what situation's going on, that bear, that book is the Bible, man. So, yeah, I've spent a lot of time reading that. Jeez. What was, uh, what was the, how'd you get to the Himalayas? Like, how did that trip kind of transpire? Cause we talked a bit about that, but I didn't want to, we didn't want to go yeah, into it quite yeah, yet. Yeah, I didn't want to save the reactions for live. Cause that's wild. So the first time I was in the Himalaya, I'd actually graduated from university and, um, a couple, I, I Nordic ski raced when I was at uh, university and a couple guys on the team had gone to Patagonia and I remember they'd had Helly Hansen jackets and it seemed really cool. They were sponsored. I was like, yeah. oh, we got to do something like this. And this road called the Karakoram Highway had opened up from China into Pakistan uh, on the far side of the Tibetan Plateau. It was, mm. it was basically brand new uh, through extraordinary mountains. And so myself and a buddy, 
decided uh, we would go and bike that. And then he called me about a month before we were supposed to leave. And he's like, Bruce, man, I fell in love. I'm going to get married. I can't go. And I was like, dude, seriously? And so I was like, I'm going to go. And so I, I had a mountain bike and I flew to Pakistan. I mean, my first trip overseas, I, it was around the time Benazir Bhutto was arrested. There was insanity. There were camels in the streets and gunfire. And I went north and spent two months in the Karakuram, which are the big range that just at the, the western end of the Himalaya. Yep. Yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, was that was, you know, those are incredible. That's mostly Ishmaeli Muslim in the north and very gentle. They follow the Aga Khan and beautiful people. And then I came down and went through India and then up into mm -hmm. Kathmandu. And uh, wow. I went to Annapurna and through parts of Nepal in, mm -hmm. into the, the, the true uh, Himalaya. But the trip I think you're alluding to was 97. I'd been, uh, I'd been guiding up north and I had applied to be a cook on, a, on an Everest expedition. And oh, they cool. decided they were going to take a Nepalese cook, thank God. Um, but I wrote them back and said, I got to come. What do you need? And they're like, yeah, we need a, a satellite communication expert. So now my... Um, my Eng Phys degree came into good use. I'm nice. like, yeah, that's me, man. I can I do the it. satellite for you. I got it. Yeah. I'm tight, right? So I, uh, they took me and I went with the Canadian team in '97 to the south side Everest, and that was the first of many trips to the to the Himalaya, and, and really the first real uh, chance for me to get to know the Sherpa people, who are so extraordinary. Not really. I mean, we'll eventually get to this uh, book that I've written and this trip yes. I took my family yeah, on. But um, questions about that one for sure. That. That really started my great admiration for the people of the Himalayas and, and my comfort with Himalayan Buddhism and my, in, my curiosity around Himalayan Buddhism. So, Interesting. Yeah, that's something that's always, it's always intrigued me because there's a lot of things with that area of the world that I've yet to explore. And that's where COVID kind of plays a part in um, the reason I went out west and not to South America Cause I'm trying, I'm trying to do every single country. So when I hear like in the world, regardless of what others kind of say of, Oh, that's a, you shouldn't really go to Liberia, but you've got a big list, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So when I hear people talk about that, like those areas of the world and you mentioned Pakistan and then those trips, that's kind of, it's, it's getting me going. I'm like, man, like I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, but no, we're there's limited a lot right of, now. There's but. a lot of amazing places. Yeah, for sure. Sure. So with that, what has been like your craziest 24 hours on a trip that you've experienced? Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Craziest 24 hours. That's a, that, that's an, like, I've had crazy 50 minutes. I, I'm going to have to say probably, uh, so I was in 99, I was in Ethiopia with a Nat Geo team. We're going to do a uh, raft descent of the Blue Nile, the Blue Nile had never been fully descended. A, a guy called Blatchford Snell, who was a British explorer, had been there in 68. And then Ethiopia had been through 30 years of the reign of terror and, and they'd been closed down. And so we were, it was just opening up. And uh, anyways, we had a five-day walk into the river with a lot of gear. And um, we were crossing a tributary. It was quite muddy. And I put my camera bag down to take some photos. And I was like, that's so weird. My camera bag's floating away. And I'm pretty usually cautious with my camera bag it was open so i kind of freaked out but then i was like yeah. holy shit the river's splash flooding and like mules are getting swept away no. and porters are getting swept away and people are freaking out and we finally get everyone on the other side and oh it was intense we didn't lose anyone we didn't lose any gear but this river came up like five feet in like 35 seconds Jeez. it was just nuts we get on the other side and everyone's both stressed out so we set up tent camp 
And I guess we had some armed guards with us. It was kind of a tenuous situation and uh, they must've started drinking. And I was asleep in my tent and I just woke up to gunfire, just like, just like Kalashnikov, AK-47. I could see the muzzle flashes. And so the first thought is, now I'm thinking now, it, I, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, someone's raiding our camp. I'm like, okay, so if someone's going to shoot into my tent, should I like get in a ball in the center or should I like lay out in a straight line along the wall? Where's That's the most likely thought. point the bullet's going to miss me, you know? Yeah. Anyways, everyone starts unzipping their tents and eventually go, what the fuck is going on out there? And uh, I guess a mule thief had come to camp to steal some of our mules and he'd taken one mule and he came back, he got greedy and he took a baby and the mother went nuts and it woke up all the drunk armed guards who were naked and running around firing their Kalashnikovs into the night. Well, Luckily, the mule yeah. thief got away and no one got hurt oh, and we goodness. got the mules back. And so... That was a fairly crazy six hours there. I don't know if we can keep going. Oh, but wow. I know. Man, a mule thief? Yeah, so it came one of those mules. I've you know, you mean, never pretty... heard of that. How do they manage that? Do they just like wrangle them up? Just going to rain. I had horses stolen from me on Mongolia. Animals get stolen lots. So, yeah. Wow. What was Mongolia yeah. like? Um, on goal, I, I took my wife and we'd never ridden horses before. And I convinced her we should go and yeah. buy three horses and ride across Mongolia. We rode up to the Russian frontier to go in search of these reindeer people who uh, were these kind of ancient nomadic herders. And uh, yeah, we took riding lessons yeah. and we bought a bunch of horses and uh, we spent 70 days. Ultimately, our uh, horses got stolen and we ended up buying a motorcycle after that and riding around. But uh, nice. yeah, yeah. It, we, I had a pretty good horse myself. I flew because I'm 200 pounds. So the, the yes. guys who we bought our horses off, you like, you need a half decent horse. And the Mongolians, that's, you know, I mean, we, they don't look like horses to us, but they, I rode into the valley and like everyone's driving a Ford Escort, but that dude's on a Mustang. We'll, we'll take it. So uh, they came in the night and that was the last I saw of my horse. Wow. So. What, what inspires trips like this for you? Like it's, they all seem very different and that they don't really have much of a connection to the other. Yeah. Well, curiosity for sure. And, and I just love wild places. And so I look for anywhere that where I, there aren't roads going on the map. I look for places. If I, if I buy the lonely planet and, and I can't find something in that, then mm -hmm. I'm like, well, now I'm on the right path. If, if I, you know, if I'm looking and there's all types of, uh, uh, you know, entries on Instagram about a place that I'm not, not so interested in going, yeah. but there, there's definitely places that are off the map that, uh, and, and so as soon as that's happened and it's a wild place and I start thinking, well, how can I move through that environment? Like, am I going to use horse or am I going to use bicycle or skis mm -hmm. go in the winter? What's going to make sense to, oh, okay. to try and travel in that region? So that makes sense. Now, from the few times we've, uh, like, uh, the times we've chatted on Instagram and back and forth now and over the phone, you've always had an enthusiasm, a very like magnetic enthusiasm about you, especially when talking about the adventures and the experiences you've had. How do you maintain that? <laughs> I guess all I can say is if it's not baked, you know, like if you, it's, if, if I was trying to get enthusiastic about some software driver that you could install into the kernel of your laptop, I'd be like, Oh dude, I don't know. Reboot, turn it off, power really? it up. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it's honestly, it's not, uh, it's not forced. And I think we all go through life and we have ups and downs. And um, it's not, 
I remember when I was young, someone said, don't pray for an easy life, pray to be a strong person. I thought it was a kind of, nice. kind of good quote, you know, and uh, yeah. I've had all types of challenges. I got a sick son right now and he's been sick for a while. It certainly yeah. like wears at my wife and I, but um, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean, you know, he deserves us to be remain enthusiastic. Absolutely. So no, I've been lucky, man. It's part of my personality. Nice. So how my, my um, wife will tell you she's had enough of it. Yeah, oh, <laughs> uh, that's too funny. So when we were talking the first time, um, you mentioned ninety five percent of your or five percent of your time makes up five percent of your income with the speaking and uh, all the writing and that kind of a uh, that kind of job, I guess, yeah. like that kind of yeah, work. Yeah. Let's say because um, it honestly sounds more fun than it does sound like a job. Um, to be honest, at least from like an outside. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, that, yeah. Um, the more, the yeah. less job like something seems, the better, I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, There's great. downsides to it. Like, I yeah. never know if it's a long weekend. I'll be writing all these people. I'm like, what the hell? Why is no one like getting back to me on email? And I'll be like, yeah. oh, Jesus, Thanksgiving or it's Easter or something. Uh, you know, yeah. what? There, I have not had a separation between work and life for 30 years. You know, I, I'll, you know, to, if, the, if I have stuff I need to get done, I'll bring my laptop into my room and work on it. But I don't feel guilty. It's, it's like, oh, the other night I was writing some of my captions for photos that are going to the BAMP Festival. And it's a fun thing for me to do. It's a bit of an obligation, but it involves stuff that I enjoy. So I, I think if anyone can find ways to do stuff um, that, that that leaves them enthusiastic, what a, what a gift that is, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it allows you, it, 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 it ceases seeming like work. The, the, the separation between this is my life and this is my work time is a, is a, some, a Western construct that is not always that healthy, I think, in a way. So anyways. Right. Interesting. How but you, you were asking about that balance that, uh, yeah. between. So, I That's mean, the backstory just for your listeners is so I, I started guiding and then I started selling photographs yeah. and then I wrote a book and the thing sold. I couldn't believe it. Then I started mm-hmm. writing too. But. Uh, and that was fine for decades or more, you know, 15 years. But then I had kids and things. And one of the challenges I see with my friends who are full-time photographers and full-time writers is there's an enormous pressure to put, continue putting food on the table. And they start shooting things like weddings that they don't like, or they start uh, writing stories about stuff that doesn't interest them, like, you know, mm-hmm. shoe review for the fall or something because they need to keep working. And so this weird thing yeah. happened to me that, that I started public speaking to corporate audiences maybe 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started because I'd done an education program in Arabia and we, we designed curriculum for kids mm-hmm. in Calgary. And I came home and, and schools would be like, hey, can you come and tell us a story? And I'd be like, sure. And parents would be there like, dude, that was pretty good. Do you want to Yeah, I want to hear about the story after. Yeah. They'll be like, come to your Christmas party and we'll, we'll give you 500 bucks. I'm like, 500 bucks? Are you kidding me? And then this lady called me one time. She's like, I'm an agent and I need yeah. to represent you. So meet me at the Hyatt. And that was 20 years ago. And I have. Wow. So, I mean, if you list the top three fears people have ahead of cancer speaking in front of a large audience. So I don't know if that is the reason why public speakers get paid uh, an unusual amount. I don't mm-hmm. want to give the idea that I don't think hard about my content and I have oh, absolutely hard on, yeah. on the craft. But that being said, um, what speaking has done is given me the freedom to write about the stuff I care about, to photograph the stuff I care mm-hmm. about. It gives me the freedom to go away for four or five or six months every summer with my kids and then just come nice. home. And like the speaking t- typically conference season is fall and spring. 
And so we're just going into the fall conference season. I have three conferences this week. Now it's weird COVID. It's all virtual. That's why I have yeah. these graphics and things I was showing you. Um, practicing and luckily, them. Yeah. yeah, practicing them. Exactly. Thank you. Glad your audience yeah. has been awesome. Man. I'm, I'm, I'm sure ready. I'm it. ready. <laughs> so, um, that the weird thing there is, you know, I don't know if it's a 595 split, but, it, but yeah. speaking takes up a small amount of time that I do, but yeah. it provides a huge amount of that income. And it just right. gives me the safety net that I can, um, you know, like I just spent six years writing a book and I'll yeah. make more in one hour speaking than I would in a six hour process of writing a book. So, oh, yeah. and, and my books are like bestsellers and they're published in yeah, like Canada in the U S and Germany and Australia, New Zealand. And it's still, you know, you don't make a lot of money writing is a, is a sad truth. We don't pay our artists enough and all your artist friends will know that. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a sad, sad truth, but, uh, yeah, I mean, sad truth, but so, it is what it, it's what you make of it. Every, everyone who's in the gay economy finds a way to like supplement it, right? Maybe mm -hmm. they waitress, maybe bartend, maybe they do whatever. And by fluke, the thing that I found right. was doing this, this corporate speaking. So nice. And how'd you get into that? You said it was after the education, or after designing the curriculums and then it kind of people would slowly get in contact with you to go forward. And then that's kind of how that built. It, it was, it kind of, it wasn't something that I shot to do. It, it was just something that uh, kind of organically grew. And yeah, I, I, we'd had this, we'd ridden camels across Arabia and we'd had an education program and it ended up going to all 22,000 kids in Calgary. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the time after we came home, it had been quite a big deal in Calgary, it had been in the newspapers and the kids had all been following. We'd been sending updates from the desert. Yeah. Um, I would show up at schools to, they'd ask me, Hey, can you come speak to the kids? There'd be 500 kids there. I'd show some slides. Nice. And, and then parents would be there and, and they were like, wow, that was pretty good. And, and so it just kind of spread by word of mouth and, uh, was one of those nice. fluky things. And as I said, this agent approached me and I was like, she's, I remember she said, I look like Ann Murray. And she did. I went down to meet her at the Hyatt. There she was. And she's like, she wanted yeah, she's like, do you want a beer? I'm like, no, I have an orange juice fan. I was like too early in the day for me. And she's always joking. She got this adventure guide. He had her That's orange amazing. juice. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I still That's talk awesome. to her now. Yeah. yeah. 20 years later. Oh, so. no kidding. That's wild. So when it came to creating this education program, what went into it? Like what kind of roles or what role did you play? We, um, I joined that Everest team late and they'd had a, uh, an education component that they, I, when I joined and I was sending information back to the school kids, I realized these teachers are paying 139 bucks so that they can teach the kids about Everest. I'm like, this is like highway robbery. Teachers have no money. We can't be taking money from them. So when we did the next program, I said, and I was part of it from the start, we mm -hmm. all agreed, we're going to provide this for free. We're going to provide it for any teacher around the world. We're going to get instant translation so kids can do projects together. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a Canadian company that was doing that at the time. And so we hired teachers in Calgary to produce core curriculum, kindergarten to grade 12, and fundamental okay. subjects, math, science, physics, whatever. Uh, and then we provided as PDFs and Word documents online for teachers. And so they, that's, that's how it started. And our role uh, in the desert was, you know, the kids would occasionally ask us questions or we would have uh, interactions with them or we would supply information, maybe daily temperatures and amount of water we were drinking so they could graph things and, and do, do other projects around it. Nice. So, so that's how it flowed out. Now, how would you say in comparison now to the education system, or with what we have now, especially for, let's focus on that, like uh, on how high school is now. How would you alter that to better set people up to discover their passions earlier? Because honestly, I think that's the 
issues we kind of face, especially like now I'm kind of, I knew what my passion was. I kind of, I have the idea of it, but then it's cultivating that into something that you could form. Like, I don't like the word career too much, but a job per se, yeah. and yeah, something yeah, that you can totally. formulate an income to live the way you want to live. Let's say. Yeah, that's a tough question. And, um, you know, I, I touched on some of the principles that I, that yeah. I believe in, in terms of like, you know, I, I can't remember if I, I, I think I might've said this to you another time when, when we were recording, but this idea that I always see life as a river and not a ladder. And I think like kids get yeah, introduced to this ladder model and it's like, okay, you got to get these certain marks in this course and that's going to allow you to get into this university and that's going to allow you to get a job at this firm. And that's how you're going to get to where you need to be 40 years later. And that's such a bogus model. It's like you're, you're kind of going over this <laughs> way. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Then you flow that way. And it, the, the problem with the ladder model is it just makes you feel like you, you're making a decision in grade 11 or 12 that's about the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And you aren't. You're going to make another 100 decisions, and all of them are going to add up to the life yeah. that you lead. And so when you ask about, like, how can we help kids do that, I, I really think – just that fundamental idea of, of trying to, you know, whether it's the university application process or whether it's through counseling or, or whatever, is help kids to know that you aren't choosing your whole future right now. You're making one choice out of 100. There's going to be lots more. If you don't like this choice, you can change it. And you're going to make right. other choices. And who would have ever said that going into engineering physics is going to lead you to be a writer and a raft guide and a public yeah. speaker? No one, right? They would Zero have said people. a million other things. Zero. Yeah. So, yeah, my if anyone's listening and they have those stresses pre or post kind of going into secondary education, just don't mm -hmm. feel like this is like, like the iron shackles are going on and you've got to do – whatever you've committed to right now, you're just going to learn something and you're going to mm -hmm. learn other stuff. You're going to learn it formally and informally. So, yeah. Wow. Damn. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I always, I've thought about it um, to a bit, bit of a parallel. And with uh, what I say in like a very, very, very short answer, when like younger friends or cousins or family members or people ask us, be like, well, what do you, I made my decision. And I think other people, best case scenario especially if you don't know is what do you want to learn about go that way totally totally it's yeah. simple but it's uh i find to your point as well like with that learning is the biggest part in terms of what you're passionate about and then that kind of helps you build and build the skills that you're going to eventually be able to uh turn into a form of income for you and your family so you know, really all you're doing at university is learning how to learn because like tell me anyone comes out and, and they don't have to relearn at all on their job, whether it's software oh, yeah. or whatever it is. I mean, you're just mm -hmm. learning how to learn. And so, you know, if we could even share that with kids, we'd be putting them in a good spot. Absolutely. Now, um, one thing, have you in that transition that made me wonder, have you ever been told like you can't do something and then oh, all the time, yeah. man, all how do you, how do you react to that? Yeah, just watch. Just watch. <laughs> Easiest thing yeah. ever. Easiest I'm like, I'm not worried. I went down to Borneo with my wife, and they're like, there's no way you can paddle on this coastline. It's totally out of limits. Well, I went to the Internet Cafe and downloaded the Nat Geo letterhead and forged a letter that said I was on assignment, took it to the head of police and said, man, I need a permit to go down the coast. He's like, well, here you go. Boom, and off we went. So uh, yeah, I never let anything get in my way, man. What's going just on? Just wow. find a way around it. <laughs> yeah. Rules are made to be broken, brother. That's fair. 
That's fair. So, well, well said, Bruce. Well said. So, Jeez. yeah, no, lots of people have said you can't do things, but you know, I would, uh, I would never say that to anyone for sure. So, so now, one thing I did want to talk to you about, um, and it came with, and this is one of the things that I thought about a lot while, like, while researching you, and then while looking in and trying not to research too much, while at the same time, right, find balance so it's still a curiosity. Um, what does the word or the term adventure mean to you? Like, when does that become an adventure? I mentioned how right at the beginning when I'm about to get lost, that's when my kind of adventure begins. What about you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say um, it's an adventure as soon as the outcome's uncertain. You know, if you know what's going to happen, then it's not an adventure, right? You're just going yeah. through the motions. It's as soon as there's yeah. some uncertainty there, yeah. um, then it's an adventure. Adventure is basically just navigating yeah. uncertainty in whatever form, in your back garden, and you go going to the store, or whatever, however you do it. It doesn't have to be in Pakistan. but it doesn't have to be in Pakistan. <laughs> nice. Now, um, you did a short film called Lifer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've that was doing in, your research. Man. Yeah, man. That was incredible. Like, I really enjoyed it, and I wanted to talk to you about what kind of inspired it because I was looking and watching it back and trying to think, I'm like, okay – where did he pick this idea out and why did, why is this the story you wanted to tell? So I, that, that the re, I was at a film school and I was, I was going to this monastery with my family and I thought maybe I want to make a film about that time. So I'm going to, and I was a, a stills photographer. I thought maybe I want to shoot some video. Um, and we, and basically that film school was an outdoor adventure film school in the Colorado mountains. And we went with 10, 10, young people filmmakers up into a hut and, and we had three days to make a film and everyone's like man who's gonna ski this gnarly line who's gonna huck that cliff and you know they're thinking about crazy stuff and i had been running some film festivals it called the dirtbag film festival where i live and it and both through my writing and my photography what became so clear to me is that story trumps everything you can I would have people send me submissions. They'd have guys hucking hundred foot cliffs and they would be paddling class five whitewater. But if there wasn't a story, you just, it's just adventure porn, right? You just don't care. Eventually yeah. we see so much of that. Yeah. And, and what That's we it. care is what happens to our friends and our family. And mm -hmm. so we were going into this hut and I'm just talking to Nasa, who's one of the teachers and she had, starts telling me this crazy story and I'm like, stop. That's, that story, that's, yeah. what, that's what I'm going to film. And I'm just going to, you're just going to tell me that story. Yeah. And then I'm just going to put some B roll around that to make, nice. you know, to give some texture to it. But, uh, you know, wow. she'd kind of had that type of revelation of, of how important life was. And she'd gone through, you know, some yeah. pretty intense was experiences. Six like, figures at Microsoft. To, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's to, yeah. So that was, Crazy. you know, that, 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 that's what you remember. If I shot people hucking off, 30 foot cliffs you'd be yeah whatever i've seen people huck up other things yeah. so yeah it's all story man when you're when you're writing or shooting it's all story wow now with that what makes a good i guess actually you already answered but what makes a good film festival to you because i know you mentioned the story with the film and everything but you put on your own film festival how was that yeah, we, we it evolved uh, organically. It, I live in a smallish town, and the town had been going through somewhat depressed times. And we uh, we called the it was a weird kind of confluence. What happened? We called it the dirt bag, and we realized that people who lived here were proud of being dirt bags. Like, I mean, I moved here from Calgary, and I was playing hockey with oilmen, and they all had like 
you know, thousand and a half dollar suits and fancy cars. And I, I came to play hockey here and the guys were like, Oh yeah, I was out my quad last week, shot myself a big elk. And they're like still covered in blood. And they got like, I brought an elk sausage, man, for yeah. after the game. And it was totally different. And, and it, the reason this film festival was successful was it gave some identity to our town and it gave people a sense of pride. And it allowed people, our whole goal was to tell local stories and, and show up. We had amazing photographers here. And basically what had happened was I was inviting the photographers over to my house and we were showing slides on the walls. And I was like, Jesus, we got people here show, shooting for Reuters and shooting for Nat Geo and shooting for all the, you know, really, really high-end photography. Mm-hmm. We should put on our own festival. And we did it in the local school and it went crazy. We had some big, big years of that. And so that was really fun. And then, of course, there's all types of other film festivals in different places and it's hard if you have something as big as Banff that goes around the world on a world tour it's not as personal as a dirtbag was Banff's lucky because they've got a huge name now so they attract the very very best yeah, filmmakers and other things so I was on the jury a few years ago for the films at Banff I've been on the jury wow. for the the writing but I watched 196 <laughs> films over the space of a few days and you quickly learn what makes a great film and what yeah. it what doesn't uh, and these were the ones that made it in and these were all great films but people are doing amazing work and um so you know shout out to Banff they have they have the best yeah. in the world for sure no kidding I've yeah the last few years since well since COVID no because I don't think uh they're doing a virtual one this year I believe eh they are brother yeah. you got to be there because I'm doing a presentation yeah. in it oh geez I gotta double check when that is I'm all up big night you better be there uh, it's October thirty first. Okay, I knew it was this month. I was just like, it's soon, it's soon. But okay, you know what? It's um, it's October thirty thirty first, like November eighth or something. And my thing will play for the whole nine days, so you can watch it on demand anytime. Okay, easy. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's, I'd show. I'll be punctual, even no matter what. So no, it's all good, man. Easy. It's a new new world. We're figuring out the virtual. Yeah, no kidding. Hopefully, it. Uh, I'm sure it'll go smoothly, though. Like it looks like it's like Banff, like you said, big name. Like they they have the they're, technology, though. They've got it figured out. They're they're going all in. Yeah, yeah. they're going to do a good job. For sure. Now, what can you tell me about your presentation that you're going to do? Uh, if you can, so yeah, not, yeah, totally. So I've actually recorded it already. I went out to nice. Banff and uh, I was on the stage, the empty stage, had the slides up behind me, and I I basically so my books in the the book uh, competition this year, and oh, usually nice. they have several book presentations. And I'd been scheduled before COVID to do the kind of the book night presentation on Thursday night of the festival, which is mm-hmm. one of the big nights. And so they said, why don't you come out and record a, a virtual talk? So I did a half hour talk. And then I actually have a half hour Zoom call with John Valiant, who's the author of the Golden Spruce and the Tiger. He's an, you know, just an insane writer yeah. and a really unreal guy. And, and so we have a chat about the book because John read it and he did, did what's called blurbing it. He wrote one of those endorsements you see on the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and nice. so, yeah, opening night is a, a talk about some of the themes and ideas in my book. And then me and John go a little deeper into it. Nice. That's a perfect transition then. So tell us the inspiration for the book is that uh, from what I know and I'm about, I'm at the part right now where I did all, I did most of the driving. So it was tough to get one of them to read (laughs) Yeah, yeah. where I was trying to do that the whole time. But what, uh, yeah, I'm at the part where um, you guys are watching back the footage and it's with your son and the autism and trying to convey how to tell him about it. Okay. Okay. So yeah. That part. Um, so you know, you're 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 well into it for sure. I mean, yeah. in a nutshell, what, um, about six years ago, I realized I was really distracted, and you know, looking at my iPhone and all the crap coming out yeah. at Twitter and stuff. 
And I had this interest in Himalayan Buddhism, as did my wife. And, and you know, when you have kids, it's so fleeting. It's such a perfect encapsulation of how quickly life goes by. We're just like, let's just be fully present. Let's take them to the Himalaya. Let's go live in a Buddhist monastery. We decided not to fly there, but we took like, we traveled by surface. So we paddled down the Columbia River, jumped on a train, took a container ship across the ocean, then went through Asia. And we spent three months living in this monastery and basically a eight foot by eight foot earthen room, pretty primitive con conditions within this thousand year old community of monks. And it took me six years to write the book, but the book is really the story of our time there and, and what I learned from that time in a way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just came out this, uh, to, came out in basically September in Canada and, and October uh, comes out tomorrow. Who knows when folks will see this, but October 6th in the US. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to publish it tomorrow. I'm going to edit it, whatever, a little bit here and then throw it up and I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll send you all the links and stuff for the YouTube, like, awesome. you know, I'll share it on Instagram, especially with the book stuff. So yeah, I'll that's fire it uh, around too, for sure, man. Awesome. Cause that'll be, uh, I'm intrigued to finish it. And I'm also really excited just to see how it's, how it's received. Cause I like, I was thinking like uh, back to when I started it and I was like, man, there's a lot of cool stuff. And then I started writing down things I wanted to touch on. And one of them was you met you guys separated. Um, I can't remember quite where you were when you did this, but you guys separated the essential things you needed for the trip and you just got rid of the rest. Like you just, and I think the word you used was abandoned the rest of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. yeah, okay. So I don't know if that part was changed or whatever, but yeah, you abandoned everything. Yeah, no, well, but you weren't at yeah. your house when you did this. Well, we'd been traveling for a bit, you know, and yeah. you know what this is like. You um, you pack your backpack and you go to Europe and you think you need all these things. And after about three or four weeks, you're like, I didn't need half this crap. And so, yeah. yeah, sometimes you drag it around with you because you're like <laughs> cheap and you're like, I, don't, I can't, I bought this like funny sun hat but i'm never gonna wear it you're just like you should throw it out yeah. uh or give it to someone you know and so i the way we were traveling was i we had two kids and so my wife held both their hands and i had 150 pounds in duffel bags one on my back one on my arms it was a big load because we had everything for four people for six months six months to yeah. be in like high altitude in deserts in in super hot climates and jungles so we yeah. had a lot of stuff and all the first aid and blah blah, blah. Yeah. so this was the last moment when we were separating before we got on a team of horses and spent 10 days crossing the himalayas into this mm -hmm. hidden valley where the monastery was and we just realized we can't take anything we don't need so we were going through the uh I need and I want, and we're making making clear which which was different because yeah. uh we're going to be carrying a lot of stuff I remember, so I did that desert journey and, and there was a fellow, we were following the footsteps of this ancient, uh, ancient, old English explorer called Sir Wilfred Desiger. He was still alive. He was 88 at the time. And I went and met him lots of times. And uh, he had a, a quote that said, the more possessions you have, the more you're robbed of your freedom. And I always thought it was a great line because uh, I, I didn't get that really at first. I remember my mom talking about how beautiful it was to be in Europe with a backpack. And I'm like, no, man, I want like a TV, a fridge. I want like, you know, a Nintendo. I need a lot of stuff. But even if you have stuff and you aren't even thinking about it or, you know, it's just in your garage, it's in your room, it's stuff. And, and the less stuff you have, the more free you are. So we, right. we were going for ultimate freedom at that point. No kidding. It's that minimalist lifestyle. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially because we we're just going to be carried on our backs. And, and we yeah, especially kids. at that like, point. Man, all we need is basically food, tent, headlamp. 
little first aid, we should be good. Yeah, first aid, I think, is something that I almost think is overlooked sometimes. Like, I've been sent back because we didn't, on, like, canoe trips, I've co-run or been, like, the secondary or the number two on the trip, and leader didn't pack the first aid kit properly, and, like, I didn't check it properly or whatever the communication happens in those moments of high stress right before the trip, and then you have to get sent back two days early because somebody cut their leg open you don't have butterfly bandages. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, yeah. Well, we had two young kids, so we had a lot of stuff. I put some stitches yeah. into a kid. I don't have a picture I can show you, but one of our monk kids cut his head open and I put four stitches in his forehead. That was pretty intense. Jeez, what happened there? Uh, I think one of his friends pushed a rock down the hill, probably trying to scare him, but ended up hitting him in the head. And he, he came in, he came to us oh, and no. he was in our room. And yeah, you could see a skull. He had a huge hole. And, uh, oh, my. There was not too much to do but get out the sutures and start sewing. I'd, I'd seen the Sherpa sewn up pretty good with 79 stitches in his face, and I kind of remembered how it went down. So uh, we went to work. Oh, thanks. Now, wow. Yeah, it was intense. But I, then the bond between me and that kid was incredible. Yeah. You know, like he, oh, he hung out with me super, super, super cool. Nice. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Now, what significance do kids play in your life now? Oh, uh, well, I got to, <laughs> so, yeah. so they, they, you know, they're, they, uh, I mean, I think having kids makes you aware. I, I, I don't want to say of this eternal cycle of life, but yeah. you know, when you're 30 or whatever, you're like, take or leave me, get on a plane and you're, you, you see someone coming down the aisle with a kid and you're, you're thinking, Oh God, I hope they're not sitting beside me or, you know, the kid's not screaming or kicking the back of my chair. Now I see people mm -hmm. with kids and I'm like, Hey man, maybe they need a hand. How can I help out? Are they okay? And, that's something I've learned in, in Central American and South American and Asian cultures where they, they worship the kid. They love the mm -hmm. kid. I've always been interested in kids. And now that I have my own, I, I think I'm uh, un, unshackled in terms of connecting or talking with any kid uh, that I meet because kids are amazing, you know, and they've got, they've got lots of insights and they're, they're interesting. And I think they, they understand if we value them and they understand, you know, it, it's I, I understand people are busy and and we want to put them in daycare and and see see them as a hassle and get them out of the way sometimes and it's it's a tough job being a parent but yeah bad. kids need to be loved kids need to be loved man and and they they so when i brought Bodie home he was eight months when we took him to patagonia and, and everyone like businessmen construction workers high school students would want to hold him on yeah. the street in the airport i'm like are you kidding me can you imagine walking around toronto and like businessmen wanting to hold your baby no weird and, so Bowie <laughs> feels uh, important. He feels loved. He feels nice. like he matters. Now he's in Starbucks at the airport in, in Toronto, and he's like making that so it sounds, and people are like, what the fuck? Like, shut up, kid. Like, what? You know, and it took him a few months to realize no one was going to interact with him anymore. Wow. Like that. But so I think, <laughs> you know, it's hard to exactly capture that without a story, but kids understand when people perceive their value so i try to value kids nice and from what i've noticed following you for as long as i have you've managed to incorporate them in a lot of your adventures oh yeah we've taken our kids yeah. everywhere up mountains down rivers we go on big trips and you know even this summer we were just out on the columbia river for yeah. 21 days and as soon as we're in the tent together all four of us like yeah. That, that time when you're at home, like something always needs to be done. The eaves troughs need to be cleaned, the garbage out. The There's always a list of something. Yeah. There's always something, right? And then you're away in the canoe and you're just all together. And yeah. it's just this amazing thing happens. You get so tight. And, and uh, yeah, it's really, really good for our family. And uh, we, we do a lot of it for sure. Yeah. So that's definitely because a lot of people hearing this will think, how do you manage to do that? <laughs> well, 
I'm, I'm kind of, um, I have some experience in doing long trips and a lot of time. Right. And we started smallish with kids, but I mean, yeah. my wife did some crazy stuff with me. We, when, when Taj was eight months old and Bodie was three years old, we went mm -hmm. to Republic of Georgia, bought three horses and did a 70 day horse trip through like the height of the Caucasus mountains, which was near like a yeah. war torn border with Russia. Like it was full on. Yeah. Um, but we had some experience in that stuff. And so, you know, people have experience in other things and, mm -hmm. and whether it's going to the cottage and just not having the Wi-Fi on or whatever it is, like, I mean, it just even the devices away from the table. There's a lot of ways we can, spend undistracted time together going on a road trip you know whether you go up to whatever to huntsville or muskoka and not bring in the devices they're always there right and thing that yeah. my kids don't have them they're young but the yep. thing that's amazing oh, on our canoe yeah, trip right. is my wife doesn't have them i don't have them and it, it's just oh, wow. us yep. and we're just doing the basics of life we're cooking food we're making coffee for the kids we're pumping water so they can drink it and mm -hmm. we're hanging out so right. yeah, it's uh, it is a really really special time to get away from those other actually just be connected in person. Amazing. How do you feel that? How well do you feel that's going to benefit for their long term development? Huge. Huge eh? yeah, yeah, they always say the how do kids spell yeah. love? T I M E. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. in every every theory of childhood attachment is um, the more you the more you spend time with them, the more things you do with them, it, it gives them a confidence so they can combat all those things that happen in high school and beyond with, with anxiety, low self-esteem, mm. concerns. I mean, it's not to say they won't go through that, but basically Absolutely. as parents, as parents, you're just giving them a solid foundation, right? We're just, we're just adding rebar and more concrete to that foundation with, with all the, the kind of love we give them. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it definitely seems something that can only be beneficial in the long run. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I, I never, I never want. It's not that I want my kids to be outdoor explorers. They could be yep. piano players or violin builders. It doesn't Absolutely. matter. But what I'm teaching them to do is do what they love, and and also teach them to be present. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 not about turning them into little carbon copies of me at all. Nice. That's amazing. Man, um, how do you feel? Like you're off the grid a bit, right? A little like what's bit, the... a little bit. Yeah. We're, we're in a town. We, we, we got some power coming, but, uh, but, but uh, we're at the end of the line and the for, it's forest beyond us. We, we yeah. walked out our back door once and walked over the Purcell Mountains to Nelson, you know, Kootenai Jeez. Lake. It's the next stop. So that was the 12-day hike just yeah. out the back door with one of our kids. So, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, we're, on, we're on, on the edge of the wilderness. On the edge of the – nice. How do you um... – <clears throat> You mentioned briefly, like the how much of an impact phones and always being connected. How do you th how do you look at that as a good thing, and how do you look at as like a way we can almost manage it to being a better thing? Well, there's I mean, there's a lot of amazing stuff you can find answers right away. Oh, what was that song? Yeah, hey, how does a Brady yeah. Bunch intro go? Yeah, play it. Um, and I, I think the challenge with it is the addictive nature, right? And we all feel that the time when there's nothing going on. So we just look at our phone. We just look at our yeah. phone again. We just put our phone down and we look at it again. And mm -hmm. I, for me, when I'm getting into that type of cycle, I'm like, hey, I got to break that cycle. Because uh, I want to I, I want to give myself another option to pick up a book, to, to go and play some ping pong with the boys, maybe go nice. chop some wood, whatever it is. Um, and so I think... The danger is, and you know, if people watch that film, The Social Dilemma, this idea that we have mm -hmm. like very advanced, thoughtful, powerful teams of engineers trying to make us look again. And we think our willpower can beat them, but 
they're pretty good too, you know? Yeah. So just, pretty just good. understanding what we're up against, so, yeah. you know, it's a little David and Goliath. David can win, but uh, Goliath's out there. And, and uh, yeah, the phone, you know, you look at your stats. If you got the, the your, your, your phone checker on and you look at your stats at the end of the yeah. week, you're like, wow, I spent a lot of time staring at a little box and life's irreplaceable. What else could I have done in that time? So good to, good to have a little reality check there sometimes. Yeah, that's one thing when it comes to like being connected and what I think uh, like how cool it can be. And I try to think of it as like when I was in when I was in Ecuador doing a uh, like a two week service trip, one of the the trip leader or the Midui uh, facilitator, he his whole thing was how to use social media and still stay connected or not still but live in the moment while still using social media. And this was almost fascinating to me. And he had these like Snapchat glasses. So he would never have his phone. I never saw him on his phone at all. But he was always like, just like this and clicking and he'd hit a video and then just, and then his whole Instagram highlight, all his videos, everybody's videos from the trip. He just made a montage of them. And I'm like, how, when were you recording? And just hits a button and lives. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So yeah. Yeah. But I find it with being a tool is the only way, if I think of it as a tool, it's the only way I'm forcing myself to be productive. Like I met you through it and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and no, meet people cool. through and make connections that way. But as soon as I start to scroll and then the scrolling is when it gets not. Yeah, no, you know what? I'm members of communities and members of stand-up paddleboarding communities and speaking communities. And even this new software that I'm using at, yeah. at where I can get great advice and connect with people. And I get lots of inspiration. I, at, for me, Instagram, I'm a photographer. I love to see good photos. Yeah. To see, you know, stay current with what's happening. So, uh, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely upsides. I'm not, I'm not uh, such a Luddite that I'm saying it's all brutal. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's, uh, definitely, uh, definitely something, but it's, uh, Photos are cool. And I'm curious now, how do you get into photography? Well, how did I, I mean, it's different yeah. now and it's good because everyone's got a camera right at all times. And the iPhone cameras are amazing and the, uh, the Androids or whatever. But um, I, uh, what happened? <laughs> I, I bought a camera and I started shooting it. Uh, I, yeah, I must've shot a season on that. Uh, oh, I had it out on the coast. So they, actually, it got, the camera got stolen in Belize. And um, it was in a van, and I shot a bunch of that season. I was guiding sea kayaks down there. And, and the insurance, my parents' insurance got me a Nikon. And I just, the, the great fluke was that we were shooting film back then, slides. I'd take a couple rolls of 36. I'd go on a trip in the Arctic. And every two weeks, I'd be back at the same camp because I was doing the trip over and over. And, but mm. in between, I'd have my film developed and I'd see what worked, what didn't work. And yeah. I always encourage people who are doing photography or interested in photography to not be afraid of plagiarism. Look at images that really speak to you and try and recreate them. It's not plagiarism. You're just trying to re, just, it's going to push you technically to understand why yeah. did you want a blur effect? Did you want to lower the iris or the shatter or the aperture? We, you know, what's going on and, yeah. and that's how you learn. So it's not plagiarism. Just see, look for photos you like and, and then use your own imagination to try and create more. So I was doing a bunch of that and it just evolved that way. Nice. Not afraid of plagiarism. I've never heard that. Yeah. 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 Putting it and that uh, man, you mentioned uh, a while ago, you watched that Berlin video. That was a very rough, raw video. Um, I believe you mentioned it last time, but there was um, where we go to Berlin, we should take a photo of the skyline, right? And that was the whole, like, that was the mission for Berlin. 
right? And I'm trying to remember that. Where where was that? Where did I see that? I'm trying to remember if you watched because you mentioned you Googled, like you Googled me and then you put it and then you watched it. And this was right when we were like right at the beginning when we chatted. I might have cut you off before you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, it's coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the whole yeah. point of going to Berlin was to my buddy saw a photo of a skyline that he wanted to take. And I was like, let's go to Berlin and do it. That, that's, so, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really cool. That's really huge. cool. Huge. So, um, I think the final thing I'm curious about, um, you're, you work with Mech, with Mountain Equipment Co-op. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that, tell me about how that got started. Like, how did you end up working with them and being a, an ambassador, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a weird, adventure is a weird world because as you become more recognized, uh, you know, at first you, you're trying to find people to support your trips and maybe you get a pair of sunglasses and it seems like a huge deal. I've been doing this for 30 years. If I took you down to my basement, you were going to come here, man. And we're still going to do that. And I watched yeah, you okay, through and be like, why awesome. do you need 50 sleeping bags and 120 pairs of sunglasses yeah. and 30 pairs of skis? And I'm like, well, because people keep giving them me, man. And people I can't eat giving. sunglasses, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, I've always seen sponsorship as, um, something that I want to provide more value. Like I used to like try to get, you know, what a pair of a jacket or something, but now, now I'm like, okay, seriously, if I'm, you know, I, I approach companies who, or they approach me who, who mm -hmm. have the same philosophy of, of wild places and endangered cultures and we, we can work together. And so when Mech was building out the ambassador program, a fellow yeah. called me and said, Hey, are you interested in being an ambassador? I was like, well, what's it going to take? What's it going to look like? Uh, it was unusual for me because, you know, I was I paid a salary to be be with them. It's not just gear. Uh, and so but but it's it's because I've created. Uh, I don't want to say it, people understand who I am and it helps Mac and I've tried to help Mac yeah. too through times like when they changed their logo. I've been like, man, I've, I've talked about why I, you know, my thoughts on that. And, I, yeah. and I've certainly hosted lots of events for Mac. So it's worked out in different ways. Nice. I've contributed to their Insta feeds and, and things, but a lot That's of the cool. stuff you don't necessarily see. I've gone to AGMs and done presentations. <laughs> I've done lots of testing oh. on gear. So it's been a really uh, deep and, and a complex relationship that I've heavily valued. Mm -hmm. I've really loved what MEC stands for. It's been really tough with the recent news about their sale. And I don't know where, where yeah. that's going to go. Cause I had a deep belief in the cooperative model, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm not one to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we'll see, oh, see what happens. But yeah, but yeah, I've got, I've got always got, I've got a, a board sponsor. You can see a starboard up there on the ceiling. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a Danish fellow who works out of Thailand. I, you know, I've got yeah. uh, boot sponsors and different people who, who support what I do, but MEC is one of the primary sponsors. Right. So, so with the uh, starboard, right? That's, yeah, uh, man. Yeah. And so is they that specifically, boards, by the way, yeah, specifically yeah, paddle boards? Only? Yeah, but I yeah. mean, nice. they make windsurf, they make some yeah. windsurfing style equipment and some surfboards, but um, they're primar primarily a paddleboard company. And, nice. and I've been becoming more and more, uh, you know, involved in paddleboarding the last couple of years. So I've been, yeah. I've been with them for about four years now, I think. Nice. So where would you recommend a good spot in Canada or even because I'm trying to think of my vision is like trips I want to do to like in the country where I don't have to spend two weeks when I get back. Okay. So I'm like so, paddleboarding. That's like, where would you recommend to go? So I, I got like 15 paddleboards, but I've got a bunch of inflatables and you can yeah. have incredible inflatables and they don't weigh much. 
And so I, when I'm speaking, sometimes in the spring, I'll, I'll fly to 15 different Canadian cities. And I made a commitment a few years ago to always bring my paddleboard to every city and paddle there. So I paddled in Saskatoon, Winnipeg. Uh, at first I came I to Toronto. I grew up in Toronto. Yeah, I, I paddled around the island one time. I remember going out to a little passage and, and uh, out at, into the outer harbor, then the outside of the island. Yeah. I'm like, wow, it's just pretty, pretty burly out here. You so the next time I came to Toronto, I landed and I said, mom, you're driving me to Niagara Falls because I'm paddling across the lake. And she's like, Stop. okay. So she, she drove me down to Niagara. I took off eight <laughs> hours. I crossed the lake, man, by myself and oh, nice. landed in Toronto Harbor. That was a tough paddle, 50 Ks exactly uh, from Niagara on the lake to Toronto. Oh, and I gave man. a speech at, at uh, the Delta or something after that. After, hey, just paddle so, across the lake, 50 K. Uh, yeah. So, all right. You know what? All right. <laughs> Every... Wild. Every settlement is built on water and every water is paddleable. Like I paddle difficult white water, I paddle oceans, I paddle lakes. I mean, obviously people need to be careful and go step by step, but there's all types of places in every city where there's wonderful paddling from Vancouver to, to Montreal to, you know, be careful of the big rapids, but to, yeah. to Toronto. Um, yeah, just be cautious, wear a life jacket, wear a leash, learn a little bit. Stand up paddling is a source that it keeps you, uh, it's, it's, it's like, meditation because you're standing on your feet with this just micro proprioception and yeah. uh, the rest of the world fades away and you're just oh, doing your cool. thing man yeah you're living in the moment for sure there's no you are you no are. being connected right there totally. wow that's wild because totally. hey, that's yeah. that's definitely something i want to like seeing you do it i was like oh man that is the <laughs> coolest thing. like it's it's just so it's almost weird for me to think it's as and correct me if i'm wrong it's as simple as just on like blowing up your board body of water go it's go. Yeah, yeah paddle life jacket leash you're good yeah. wow yeah, totally yeah that's I, awesome I paddled like yeah every city in canada i paddled in for sure jeez every yeah. for sure yeah and that's seems like you don't plan it eh too much ahead you just i got my sweet board i'm uh I, oh, I finished the speech I and then I look at the map and call a taxi and say, take me to this harbor or wherever. And let's just start paddling. Yeah. I no, mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time outdoors on water, so I feel comfortable yeah. figuring it out, but yeah. Oh yeah. man. Uh, That's super paddle. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Bruce, man, this is uh this was a lot of fun. Glenn, we got to do it again. You got to come out here to yeah. see the, see man, the real deal. I, oh, I wanted to so <laughs> bad. I still yeah, want man. to so bad. We all we yeah. almost had it work there, and then yeah. it just got crazy. But no, it's a, we'll, we'll make it happen, man. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Yeah, it was a weird, like uh, yeah. anniversary thing. Like a time, it's life, man. I understand completely. Things happen. It was, it was weird. It was I'm rarely busy, and then all of a sudden I was. It was yeah. yeah. Uh, September 23rd, we got married right in the back garden, right outside here. So oh yeah, well, northern lights and a bear that day. Yeah. yeah. So, oh jeez. Best of both worlds, I guess. It was the best of both worlds, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, one thing, do you happen to have a, f I'm going to take like a screen clip. Um, do you have yes. a photo of your book you can put up or a cool photo as well? Yeah. Let me see oh, if yeah. I can, uh, I'll screen cap that. And then if you want to plug it, we can, uh, go from there. We already talked a bit about it, but if you want to finish off with some words about it, then by all means. Cool, man. Just let me see if I can, if not, I'm just going to download it, man. Um, Will take me through two seconds here. It's got to be around 3D. Where are you, buddy? Okay, man, watch this. I'm going to, this is this Ecamm Live. Excuse me. Uh, my computer's looking. Here we go. Downloads. 
I'm gonna add a new, there we go. Let's see how this puts it up. I can slide that over. Perfect. I can slide Waller down, whatever you like. We'll pull it awesome. up here a little bit. That's the book right there, brother. Awesome. So I'll All right. screen cap the photo now. Perfect. Easy. Sweet, buddy. Easy, Bruce. All right. Oh, that was a, I really appreciate your time, like a lot. I hey, appreciate man. your knowledge and everything you have to share. And I look forward to uh, seeing and chatting with you again. Let's stay in touch. Let's stay in touch. Let me yep. know when you got something out and I will definitely share it through my channels. And uh, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. much uh, appreciate we, we, that. We're, so. we're due for a catch up. So yeah, absolutely. And man, I'm looking forward to uh, looking into starboard, probably purchasing a, one uh ordering no, a book because i want a be, hard copy for my studio so be in touch good. with me about about boards anytime yeah. i know where there's used ones and things like that so oh, I, I know no what way. they're all about yet yeah well Just, definitely uh, be in touch with that for sure when you're looking give me a shout easy oh man i really appreciate it. where have you been what mistakes have you made what lessons have you learned what is life really like after high school. Where you been? 